Good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. For more than 30 years, the Reverend, yes, he was an ordained Presbyterian pastor, the Reverend Fred Rogers produced and hosted the television show Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on PBS. He showed children and everyone what it looked like to truly love your neighbor. Fred wanted people to know that they are loved and they have the capacity to love others. He championed children receiving love and giving love in return. His official title from the Presbyterian Church was Minister to Children Through Media and Television. He didn't have a congregation in the traditional sense, but he absolutely still had one. He taught children and all of us about receiving and giving love through characters like Daniel Tiger, King of Friday, and Lady Elaine Fairchild. Rogers knew he lived in a world desperate for the message of love, the power to heal broken people, broken relationships, and the broken world. That need has not changed since Fred launched and ended his television series. And friends, that sounds a lot like the mission of the church. If you follow Jesus, you've been given a mission. It's twofold. You're called to love God fully and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what if when Jesus said neighbor, he actually and truly meant that person that lives next door to you or beneath you? He meant the waiter or the waitress you see every single time you go to your favorite restaurant. The coworker that takes a little more patience than the rest. The neighborhood kids that drive you just a little crazy because they ring the doorbell every time you're sitting down to a meal and it drives the dog crazy and then it drives the rest of the family crazy. Yes, Jesus meant every human being on the planet, which means your actual, physical, flesh and blood neighbor, not just an abstract and hypothetical one. Now in our charge to love, there are no conditions. There are no limitations on the kind of neighbors we love. If they don't believe like we do, we still love them. If they don't see the world just like we do, we still love them. It does not matter their age, socioeconomic status, race, gender, sexual orientation, or how they voted in the last election or any election. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, no matter what. Because in the depths of our hearts, in every human heart, is for someone to love us, for someone to be our neighbor. That's what the song means. Please, won't you be my neighbor? Please, won't you love me? Think of that neighbor. Think of that person in your life that is hard to love. That cry to be loved is so often covered up. We lie to ourselves. We're dishonest with ourselves. We're pros with putting on that mask. We cover up the truth by addiction, with anger, and we even cover it up with our stuff, our wealth. We are pros at putting up a front that we're okay when we are anything but okay. We are called to love the neighbors that are hard to love because we, like them, we hide the truth. We are desperate for a neighbor, desperate to be loved. We might disagree about our political affiliations or how to best care for the poor and all of those in the world, but there should be no disagreement on our primary task. In the Bible, from the front to the back, we are tasked to love to love God completely, and to love our neighbor. No qualifications, full stop. And we get this idea from Jesus. One day, of the many days in Jesus' ministry, a group of religious leaders asked him a question, trying to trap him to lose influence among the people. Jesus was getting more popular, more influential than they were, and they couldn't stand it. So one group asked Jesus, 
what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22 today if you want to follow along. Now, Matthew's book is one of four biographies about Jesus. We call them Gospels that we've got in our Bibles. At this point in the story, there are two religious groups that are upset with Jesus. Matthew mentions the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Roughly speaking, the Sadducees were the ultra-liberals of their day. They did not believe in the resurrection from the dead, and the Pharisees were the ultra-conservatives in faith, putting up all kinds of rules and walls that had the function of preventing people from getting to God. Boy, we've had political and theological divides for so long. Now notice Jesus, Jesus doesn't fit nicely into either one of these groupings of religious leaders. You know, it forces me to reflect, do I fit too nicely into one of those two boxes today and not enough, and not enough into the footsteps of Jesus? So just before our scripture, Jesus has just schooled the Sadducees on resurrection from the dead. He says, yes, there is resurrection, and if you don't know it, you don't know your scriptures. <laughs> While the Sadducees just stand there with their mouths slack-jawed, it's now the Pharisees' turn to try to trap Jesus. They want him to lose influence, and so they want him to violate the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the first five books in your Bible. So the Pharisees ask him, what's the most important law? Now every Jew knows the correct answer. It is called the Shema. It's recorded in Deuteronomy 6. It reads, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Every practicing Jew would pray this early in the morning and late in the evening. Every Friday night at the end of weekly corporate worship service, they'd end by reciting the Shema. Yom Kippur, a high holy day roughly equivalent to Easter for our Jewish friends, they pray it together then. And on his or her deathbed with their very last breath, they'd want to pray the Shema as they breathe their last. Every practicing Jew knows the answer to this question. What will Jesus' answer be? His reply is in Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your hearts, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus gets it right. He said, yes, the first and greatest commandment is the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But then in true Jesus style, he gives us a twist. He adds something in this case. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, would have recognized this from the law of Moses. This, here it is in the book of Leviticus. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus says, sure, love God fully, but also love your neighbor as yourself. By the time you reach the end of this chapter in Matthew, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been silenced due to his teaching. No one dared ask him any more questions or try to trap him. They both stand there slack-jawed. Now, Jesus leaves us having to love our neighbor just like we would love ourselves. It's easy to love the good neighbor, but what about the one who stays up at all hours to run his table saw? Really, Jesus, that neighbor who drives me crazy, 
who is so unlike me in every way imaginable? Yep, that neighbor. I love how Pastor George Acevedo puts it. He says, loving a perfect God we cannot see is easier than an imperfect neighbor that we can see. Loving a perfect neighbor we cannot see is easier than an imperfect neighbor that we can see. You know, I'm good with part one. I can love a abstract God, but come on, Jesus. Part two, it sounds like work, and it is. It absolutely can be to love the people God has placed right in front of us, next door to us, and in our path during the day. I'm thoroughly impressed with our across-the-street neighbor, Skip. He is ready and willing to help out everyone on our street almost on a moment's notice. My favorite Skip story is this. Another one of our neighbors was doing some landscaping in their backyard, moving rocks, moving plants. You know, there were wheelbarrows and shovels involved. Now, without being asked, Skip appears beside my neighbor, almost by magic, with a wheelbarrow and shovel and gloves and says, hey, what are we doing today? He didn't have to do that. Skip could have gone on with his day with all the things he had on his to-do list. Instead, he took the time to love his neighbor through sweat equity, moving rocks and plants in a backyard that I'm sure he spends very little to no time in. Loving our neighbor absolutely takes work, but according to Jesus, it is the second and equally most important commandment, so we should probably figure out a way how to do it. Luckily, we're not alone. We're not alone as we discern how to help and to love our neighbors. Just as God came down in Jesus and moved into our neighborhood to make a way out of sin and brokenness and death forever, when Jesus moved back out of the neighborhood and into heaven, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moved into that vacant space. The Spirit was unleashed in Christians and around the world on that day 2,000 years ago when the church was born. We celebrate that day next week. We call it Pentecost. Now God's Spirit is moving in people's hearts and constantly in the world. The Holy Spirit does not just work on Sunday mornings, but every single day throughout the week in classrooms and boardrooms, shops and salons and bedrooms. We need to learn to tune ourselves to the Spirit's movements so we know when to act, know when to move, know when to speak, know when to bring our wheelbarrows and shovels and gloves to help out. So how can the Holy Spirit help us to love our neighbors? First, we need to ask we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us love our neighbors. Opening our eyes to see our neighbors requires God to change and to soften our hearts, especially for the neighbors that drive us a little crazy. Prayer alters our state. Prayer changes how we see other people. While they still might bother us or they're still going to be angry and hurt and in pain, the Spirit can help us understand that they are just people wanting to be loved wanting someone to be their neighbor. Just as the first century Jews prayed the Shema each morning and night, we should begin our days, in addition to coffee for some of us that take that edge off, we should begin every day with a prayer like this. Holy Spirit, help me to love my neighbors better today. Say it with me. Holy Spirit, help me to love my neighbors better today. Holy Spirit, help me to love my neighbors better today. Let's take a moment right now to tune ourselves to the Holy Spirit with a song. With our morning coffee over time, the Holy Spirit will soften our heart. 
and help you to see where your neighbor can best be shown love. The neighbor next door, the serving staff at the restaurant, and the person you see regularly on your commutes or school drop-off or in the classroom. Second, we need to listen. Once we start asking regularly, the Holy Spirit responds. There will be new prompting and nudges and ideas that were not there before. Now, they might be as simple as saying hi to that neighbor while you're getting the mail. Then, the person gets a chance just to share how hard of a time it's been and glad you were there just to listen to them. Sometimes, it's as simple as that. The Spirit is so often in those ideas that we like to push down. No, I don't want to interrupt them. No, I don't want it to be weird. No, I've got so many other things to do today. In my life, I find those ideas I want to push down and push out of my mind are frequently the Holy Spirit wanting me to take a step. Now, if this is new territory for you, you'll naturally wonder, what does the Holy Spirit sound like? Now, frankly, I wish it sounded like James Earl Jones. This is CNN. You know, Mufasa talking to Simba in The Lion King. Simba, remember who you are. But no, the Holy Spirit sounds like my voice in my head, saying, go talk to that person sitting by themselves. Cross the street and give that person a hand. Stop for a moment, instead of walking by with the dog, and talk to that neighbor. Now for me, it's my voice urging and nudging and prodding me to take a step that'd be outside of my normal, everyday pattern. So how do we love our neighbors? We ask, we listen, and then we obey. We actually have to do it. We have to strike up a conversation, move to the lonely student in the lunchroom, cross the street to catch our neighbor at the mailbox. We have to have the guts to move when the Holy Spirit says go. You don't need to approach every single conversation with your neighbors expecting to lead them to salvation in Jesus. Let the conversations, let the relationship evolve naturally. Build a relationship with your neighbor because they're your neighbor. And Jesus told you to love them whether they're a Christian or not. Now, if all you accomplish is saying hi to your neighbor, that's a win. The worst case scenario is they're going to know you see them and you care about them. That is a win. They don't all have to be deep spiritual conversations. Vicki and I have chats with our neighbors, and typically they're about the location of our children as they're playing together. And then they'll evolve into sharing life and discussing vacations and recipes and recommendations from doctors and dentists and restaurants and Easter egg hunts and block parties. You know, when you start asking the Spirit, be prepared to listen and be prepared to obey. Basically, you're asking the Holy Spirit for divine interruptions. You are making yourself available to the Holy Spirit to send to love other people that you're going to encounter. It's going to be uncomfortable at times. It will be hard at times. But there will be a joy that comes from somewhere deep knowing you're doing what Jesus told you to do. Love your neighbor. A neighbor who shows them just how much God loves them. Friends, let's lace up our sneakers and go into our neighborhoods to show people they are very much loved by us and by God. The Holy Spirit wants the church moving in the world, wherever we are during the week, praying, Holy Spirit, help me to love my neighbors today, to listen and to obey. Yesterday, we held Single Moms Blessing Day at the North Campus, where more than 50 moms, single moms, had their vehicles oil changed, blessed by the gifts 
and childcare and the lunch provided by a number of you all. A number of you who said, yes, I can serve my neighbor that way. I can show love that way. That event existed yesterday because Nita, a part of Legacy, heard the Holy Spirit nudge her to bring this event from Florida to Bismarck. Neighbors were loved and cared for because one woman said, yes, Spirit, I can do that. If an entire church, if we all start praying every day, Holy Spirit, help me to love my neighbors today, our world will start looking very different, more loved, one neighbor at a time. Let's lace up our shoes and step into our neighborhoods. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you interrupt, to interrupt our day, to open our eyes to the people around us that need to know they're needed. They have a purpose. They are loved. May we be bold enough to move, to act, to show care when you prompt us to go, to get up out of our chair and out of our normal routine. We are ready for the divine interruptions to show love that you will bring our way. We pray together this morning all the prayers spoken and unspoken in the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On this Sunday, we'll celebrate Holy Communion together, remembering all Jesus suffered for us on the cross, paving the way to resurrection and to new life. Communion is the ancient sacrament, that holy moment where we take something ordinary and experience the extraordinary through it. It's in the act of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. We witness the saving grace and the miraculous mystery of the cross in the bread and the cup. The one who was whole became broken so that the ones who were broken could become whole. And the one who was full became empty so that the ones who were empty could become full. Everyone is welcome to partake in communion. You don't have to be a member here at Legacy or a church anywhere. You're welcome to share in communion with us right now. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed and eventually sent to the cross that he was eating with his disciples. During the meal, he took a loaf of bread. He gave thanks to God for it, and he broke it. He said to his disciples, then and throughout the ages, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. At the same meal, Jesus took the cup. After giving thanks to God for it, he says to his disciples, then and throughout the ages, this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup together. Each time we celebrate Holy Communion, we proclaim the mystery of faith together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Say it with me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. <laughs>